longer question the important issues of today and try to find a sort of spiritual connection? Welcome to Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman as your host. Religion deals with the most fundamental issues humans face. There are arguments for and against the existence of God, where religion belongs in everyday life and a number of questions left unanswered. This is where it all gets discovered. Now, here is Father John Holloman. Good day. Happy to be back with you again. Um, Last week I talked about... Um, the relevance of scripture to the to modern situation. And today I'm going to uh, dig into that deeper and show you exactly what I meant by it. I read some excerpts from a, a poem uh, which was um, 4,000 years old, uh, found on a clay tablet in the Egyptian desert. And it's entitled, A Dispute Over Suicide, An Individual Contemplating Whether or Not to Kill Himself. And I'm going to just give you a few more, few few lines from that poem. To whom shall I speak today? Men are contented with evil. Goodness is neglected everywhere. To whom shall I speak today? One who should make a man enraged by his evil behavior makes everyone laugh though his iniquity is grievous. To whom shall I speak today? The wrongdoer is an intimate. The brother with whom one should act is become an enemy. Death is in my sight today. Like the recovery of a sick man, like going abroad after detention. Death is in my sight today, like a well-trodden way, as when when a man returns home from an expedition. Death is in my sight today, like the clearing of the sky, like a man attracted thereby to he knows not. <clears throat> the fact that those sentiments, I think, something that most of us could identify with, recognize in our own experience. Um, and what the point being that uh, for all the changes in uh, technology and um, science, the modern world has brought with it. The human factor has not changed one little bit. And so things like this poem um, happens to us because we can identify with what it's talking about. Today I'm going to talk about um, the book of Genesis and what it has to say to us um, in the modern world. Now, um, one one might not think may think that Genesis is is uh, just a, a, a fairy tale, but um, I hope to convince you to the contrary. Much of the Old Testament is narrative prose; it is not science or history as we understand those terms. The purpose is to communicate the meaning of events. The focus is theology, which is composed of two Greek words, theos, meaning God, logos, meaning word, can be translated roughly as God talk. Use of prose is a significant departure from the ancient practice 
of casting folk origin stories in epic form using poetry. The obvious examples are Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, Virgil's Aeneid, um, It's, it's been suggested by some that this um, use of prose as opposed to poetry may be a deliberate effort to distance themselves from uh, the paganism around them. We don't know. That's a speculation. Indirect discourse is avoided, though. Thoughts are often depicted as direct verbal statements. For example, Samuel's call, um, which is can be found in, in the book of Samuel. Um, the use of concrete stories and characters to deal with highly complex and even abstract notions. It's typical of a people who did not think abstractly in the Greek or modern sense. Let me explain that a bit. Um, the Egyptians invented geometry to build their pyramids and other monuments with. It was the Greeks who came along and took their very practical applied mathematics and abstracted from them um, to something that just doesn't come normally. For example, the definition of a point is something that has no dimension. Have we ever experienced anything without dimension, not in the material, physical world? Um, even an electron, which no one can see, it can only be uh, posited as very working theory, and it works pretty well. Um, but a line, for example, in Pythagorean geometry, if you remember uh, high school geometry, uh, a line is infinitely, there are no ends to it. It's composed of points that have no dimension. Now, none of this is to be found in our normal everyday experience. In other words, these ideas are mental constructs. But the amazing thing is that what is just good for one particular situation, building a particular pyramid, it can be used to prove theorems about it so that it's, it's held uh, everywhere by everyone. Um, <clears throat> that's the, the strange thing about um, mathematics, which Plato made a famous comment about it is uh, mathematics is, is madness. Um, how is it that the human mind can abstract and take something that is, doesn't exist in the material world and use it to uh, expand our horizons enormously Take another example closer to our own time. In the 19th century in England, there was a mathematician by the name of Boole, spelled B-O-O-L-E. And he came up with what he considered a parlor game. 
um, uh, something for him and his fellow mathematicians to uh, entertain themselves with. <clears throat> he could take a, a mathematical expression and perform what is now, now called Boolean expansion for a certain equation and expand that into something quite big, large, and cumbersome and then turn right around and using Boolean reduction bring that big complicated expression right down to something that is even simpler than the one we started out with but is just as effective in getting things done. Um, this was considered a, um, an entertaining power game until in the 1920s and 1930s uh, some um, engineers got a hold of it and it to electrical circuits and they were able to using the expansion and reduction technique uh, they were able to come up with um, a, a circuitry which was much simpler than the one they started out with but yet did, did the same work this was the beginning of miniaturization and that same mathematical principle which was thought to be not useful for anything at all is now the basis of digital um, television um, so the human mind has a strange capacity to uh, take things completely out of the context and abstract and requisite mentally and come up with something in the concrete world that works just as well but is much less complicated. Um, so we have become so accustomed to the Greek way of thinking, the abstraction, uh, words like transcendence and um, imminence. Um, <clears throat> Transcendent being transcending all that we, we, we know and are comfortable with. Imminence means being intimate. Um, these folks who wrote the book of Genesis did not think in those terms. To make a point, they had to tell a story. That's the only tool they had available to them. And... Um, These stories try to tell us something about ourselves and about God. And so they use these stories of concrete characters to deal with what today we would call abstract notions. This means we have to be attentive to subtle nuances and, and omissions in the stories. Sometimes an omission can tell us as much as an assertion. Overall, it is an artful use of narrative, not at all primitive, quotation mark, to depict the nature of God, his relations with humans, and the often contradictory character of those same humans. The bottom line is that human beings must live before God in transforming medium of time, incessantly and perplexingly 
in relation with others. All of which points to a fundamental aspect of Old Testament faith. God reveals himself in and through historical events and people. Now in the ancient world, Greece for example, you had the Oracle of Delphi who people would come to when they wanted to make a decision about a future course of action. And they would be inside a cavern and it would be dark and you could put a question to the oracle and usually it was a female who would come back with a, a suggestion for um, a course of action. Now, uh, Hebrew religion is nothing like that. It looks for revelations about God and his relationship with human beings um, through stories. We have a break coming up, and I'll be back with you shortly. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Who are you, really? Are you the person you want to be, or are you the person that others want you to be? Think about that. We don't always recognize our gifts and potential because we stick to old methods of being and do what others in our lives tell us. It's time to break through. Listen for Rediscovering the Magic of Being with Marja. Each program connects you back to whom you were meant to be every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Hello again. Picking up where I left off, we're going to be comparing two passages, one from Genesis and one from the Enuma Elish. Um, 
to give you an idea of what they have in common and, and what they do not have in common. And it's the difference that matters. Um, in both cases, um, I'll read you this passage from the Enuma Elish, which is very ancient. Story of creation. Blood I will pass and cause bones to be. I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name. Verily, savage man I will create. This is the god Marduk speaking. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they might be at ease. Now, in comparison with Genesis, uh, in chapter 2, verse 23, this is one at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for from man was this one taken. Now, <clears throat> you notice these differences. In both cases, divinity is seen as a kind of sculptor using flesh and bone for materials. But in uh, the Enuma Elish, there is no creation of woman. Um, again, man in the Enuma Elish is a passive object, acted upon and created only to supply the material wants of the gods. There's no dimension of history here or moral action. Um, in Genesis, there are two verses about God's promise of a helpmate, which shows his concern for man. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner for him. So his concern for man and the fulfillment of that promise. In verse 21, so the Lord God cast a deep sleep on the man, and while he was asleep, he took out one of his ribs and closed it up in his place with flesh. Um, and then God then built up into a woman the rib that he had taken from the man. God's concern for his creation and his keeping of his promise. Now, this arrangement is significant. Only man can invent language and bestow names on things. And it is this level of consciousness that makes him superior. Still, it is this very superiority that makes him aware of his solitude. Why two accounts of man's creation in Genesis? To provide us with a tension of views, a technique often used in the Old Testament. For example, there are two of the demon demons, which reflect the, um, you might say, politics of the tribes at the time, whether or not to switch to a monarchy or not. Up to that point, they had worked together as a confederacy of 12 tribes, which would come together with a common enemy to be met, faced. Otherwise, they were independent of each other. And this was not working very well. 
just that the American colonies discovered American colonies discovered after uh, winning their free, uh, freedom from Britain. Um, but their solution was not a federal government; it was a monarchy. And there was two approaches, two trains of thought on that whole thing, and that's what the two stories of David are about to show you each each part of each view of things. Um, Chapter 1 of Genesis through chapter 2, verse 4 is the first account of creation. We scholars think was uh, came up, this was written, uh, the latest uh, right after the Babylonian exile around 438, so 538 is when it ended. Um, it's called a priestly document because it shows the hand of some priests in the wording of the thing. Um, and it is concerned, this first version, is concerned with the cosmic plan of creation. It begins with the primordial abyss. In this somewhat magisterial formulation, everything is ordered, set in its appropriate place, and symmetrical. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Creation advances through a rhythmic process of balanced pairings with each moment of creation conceived as a balancing of opposites, producing a difference in a particular category of existence. All this reflects a particular vision of God, of man, and of the world. Coherence is the keynote, and law is the underlying characteristic of the world as God makes it. Now, it has been said that the biblical story of creation um, is an attempt to show that everything is ordered. Everything has a purpose given to it by God. And it's this ordered existence um, of chaos that characterizes creation. If you stop and think about that, that's a fundamental premise of science. Now, it would take several thousand years to become to fruition, but it's not, forget, as I said in one of my earlier talks, that um, science as we know it today emerged in the late Middle Ages, um, and it was fostered by the church in many ways based upon the fundamental understanding that creation is ordered, not haphazard, and that there is the, this order can be discerned and figured out. Um, entering the picture climactically just before creation is declared complete on the seventh day, man is assigned a role of dominance on the sixth day in a grand hierarchy. Now, Notice here in this um, version of creation, um, 
the sun and the moon and the stars are created. Chapter 1, verse 14 through 16. Then God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate day from night. Let them mark the fixed times, the days and the years, and serve as luminaries in the dome of the sky to shed light upon the earth. And so it happened. God made the two great lights, the greater one to govern the day and the lesser one to govern the night. And he made the stars. Now that may seem like a pretty prosaic statement now nowadays, but in the ancient world, it was radical and revolutionary because all of the other ancient religions worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars as divinities. And this story of creation says just much a part of being created as uh, a tree or a mountain. That means and then by not being divinities, they are accessible for us to study. Now, a great, in fact, a great deal of the beginnings of science in the Western world um, came in the area of uh, studying the stars and planets. And um, that was sort of the initial um, search, shall we say, um, by the scientists of the time as it was uh, being developed. Later, it was only later that it branched out into things like biology, zoology, and whatnot. <clears throat> Why are there two accounts of creation in Genesis? The, um, because both accounts are true. This first chapter of Genesis gives us a majestic look at God as being above it all saying, let there be light, and there is light. Um, the word we would use today is transcendent view of God. But the second version, which begins in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, um, is a different story and a different uh, point being made. The primary interest here is in man as a cultivator of his environment and as a moral agent. It begins with a comment on the lack of vegetation and irrigation. Man is not the culmination of the story here in this account like it was in the first one, but the focus of it. He is one with the earth and bound to the natural world. Um, his name, Adam, Adama, means of the earth, earthy. Um, he also has language and free will that will cause him to be banished from Eden, henceforth to work the soil as a punishment. Now there's a moral tension in this account of creation between man and God. There's a divine concern for man not found in the first account, God does not even speak 
until he addresses man and reflects on the human condition. The world is stuff to be worked and shaped through the effort of both God and man. I use the verbs of fashioning, whereas in the first account, words like create or make are used. Language has a role in ordering things, but it is not creative. In the first version, man and woman are created simultaneously, but in the second version, woman comes after man. Um, so what is the result of all of this? We have here a composite picture trying to get at a complex reality. Man and woman are created in the theological scheme of things in the first account. But in the second account, in a fallen world, woman has been treated as inferior, coming as she did after the creation of man. Again, uh, in this case, we would use the abstract term imminent. This is our language. God is both transcendent and imminent. That's why we have these two different stories. He is both magisterial and his omnipotence on the one hand and actively involved with his creation on the other. He walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. The world is also orderly, coherent, beautifully patterned, but at the same time a shifting tangle, both a mainstay and a challenge to us human beings. Humanity is a divinely appointed master of creation, while being an internally divided rebel against that divine scheme, destined to scratch a painful living from the soil that has been blighted because of man. And right here you have um, the basis for ecological concern about preserving the earth. We'll take a break at this point. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. The White House Doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to transform your life. 
Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Oh, good. Pick up where I, where I left off in the first account of um, creation story in Genesis. Um, man and woman are created simultaneously. But in the second version, um, man is created first and then woman. What this is trying to say, I think, is that. Um, Man and male and female are equals in the first account. Now, who would have thought that you would find here in the first chapter of Genesis, first chapter of the Bible, a statement of a principle that um, is very much um, in our uh, conversation today, the quality of men and women. Um, but the second account has her coming after being created after Adam. Um, this gives us a picture of the fallen world, the world which is according to God's plan, and in which the woman, the female, is considered inferior. Um, So, scripture, uh, properly understood, is not really uh, a a hustle to the whole idea of the quality of men and women. Um, Chapters 12 to 50 of Genesis um, provide us with the patriarchal stories. And we need to keep something in mind here. The names, like Abraham, don't just refer to individuals, but they also represent a whole tribe of people. All of the servants and their families that went with them to herd the cattle, to herd the sheep, to take care of the whole operation of moving about, carrying their worldly possessions with them. So you've got an extended family, so to speak. Abraham implies this whole group of people. And 
a person exists only in terms of their relationship to their uh, family or their tribe, their clan. Now, Amorites were Semites. They came out of the Arabian Peninsula with personal names, such as Benjamin, Yaqub El, David, and Abram. The Martin tablets, so-called, were uncovered were uncovered in 1935-1936. Also mention Habiru, which sounds suspiciously like the word Hebrew. It's a, refer, it's a term referring not to a racial or ethnic group, but a social class of people in relation to the established nations of the time. Habiru were wanderers or outsiders, gypsies, who moved from place to place with their flocks and families. They occasionally formed themselves into guerrilla bands that attacked caravans or villages, sometimes hiring themselves out as mercenaries. Now, there's an interesting connection here in chapter 14, verse 13 of Genesis. A fugitive came and brought the news to Abram, the Hebrew, who was camping at the terebinth of Mamre, the Amorite, a kingdom of Eshkol and Aner. These were in league with Abram. When Abram heard that his nephew had been captured, he mustered 318 of his retainers, born in his house, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. That gives you an idea of the scope of the tribe, but also in which the tribe had a responsibility to the individual. There's a term here used for God, um, which is one of four to be found in the Old Testament. And that's the name El Shaddai, which translated means the one of the mountains. In other words, a mountain or storm deity. Um, El Shaddai is one term used for God in this in Genesis and in other parts of the Old Testament. Um, Yahweh is the famous one used to um, Moses at the burning bush when he asked God, who, who, who do I tell the people that is sending me? Um, the next chapter, chapter 15, brings out a peculiar characteristic of patriarchal religion, the practice of entering into a personal relationship or covenant with the deity. This was something that was unheard of in pagan religions of that time. Unlike the settled Canaanites, who were concerned more with adjusting to the cycles of nature, um, Hebrews were wanderers who, in response to divine summons, went into the unknown and uncertain toward a land God would show them in due time. In other words, it was a journey based on faith, 
um, it's the difference between a calculating manipulative approach to religion, which you find in the pagan religions of the time. The whole point of religion is to placate the gods so they won't zap you. In other words, divinity was viewed as being hostile to human beings. And you had to um, bribe them, cajole them, get them to do what you wanted them to do, which is like sin rain so that the crops can grow. Um, that manipulative view of religion um, and the idea that you can enter into covenant with the divinity and become a mutual, um, mutually responsible for each other. Now, covenant is not a contract. It's always between a higher and a lower person. In the civil society of the time, you spoke of a covenant between um, a military figure who was uh, considered nobility and who was in charge of troops of fighting men. Uh, and, and the people... Uh, who he was responsible for, who they called him Lord, and he called them subjects, it was between unequals. That was a covenant which could not be broken. It was not to be um, negotiated. And in the case of uh, the, the Habiru, um, Abram has this covenant with um, El Shaddai. Um, so it's the difference between a calculative, calculating, manipulative approach to religion and one of faith and trust in the midst of unknown hazards. There's another important item, the feeling of personal solidarity between the clan and God meant that his jurisdiction of power was not limited to a particular locality, which was typical of pagan religions. Their deities had certain geographical boundaries, which they couldn't go beyond. Um, it might be a city, it might be... Um, so we've reached the point where we have this personal relationship between uh, the believer and the divinity. Uh, we have another break, so I'll be back to you shortly. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com as a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. 
That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to DefendingCatholicFaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Hello, back. Good, good to be back with you. Uh, I was talking about the idea of covenant, and it has a place in modern life, at least in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, covenant has been associated with marriage, which is why it's considered indissoluble. Um, covenant is not a contract. Today, most people probably view marriage as a contract that can be broken. But who is a superior member of this covenant? God. And the husband and the wife are the other member of the covenant. So it's a three-way situation, not just between two people. And therefore, this has implications. Um, this has implications for um, how we view marriage. In fact, uh, in Louisiana, the, the legislature there uh, passed a law uh, referring to covenant marriage. This was spearheaded by uh, mostly the, by the Protestants that um, if you enter into a con- covenant marriage before the wedding ceremony, you sign away all the traditional um, reasons for divorce. Um, you only allow for um, adultery. And this is for people who want to be really serious about their marriage. So it's written into civil law that you can have a covenant marriage. If you do, you have to sign these papers in advance that things like incompatibility uh, are, cannot be used as a grounds for divorce. Um, but moving on a bit, we get down to the descent of the people into Egypt. You may know the story of Joseph, who was... By the way, the youngest of 12 sons, and that right there 
uh, breaks something called the law law of primogeniture in the ancient world, that uh, only the firstborn male will take over the name of the family, the tribe, and run it uh, once the father passes on. Uh, but throughout the Old Testament, you have this reversing of that order of things. Um, it's David, for example, was the youngest of seven children. Um, and Joseph was the youngest of 12. These people who keep com- coming into tremendous uh, implications for the future of the people. Um, because of a famine, um, Joseph had been elevated to a position of power in Egypt. And we think, well, we think it was during this period when the um, Hiskos came down uh, and defeated the Egyptian army with a technological advantage. Something the Egyptians didn't have at that time. Um, Horse-drawn chariots. We always think of the Egyptians being having chariots, all the, but they didn't. They got it from the, the Hiskos, who came from the upper part of the Fertile Crescent. Um, it seems that they were also Semites. It would have been logical for someone like Joseph to assume a position of great authority in the government. And so we think it happened um, during the overrule of the Hiskos, um, who swept through Syria and Palestine into Egypt around 1710 BC. Bent on conquest, they were aided by the chariot. They dominated Egypt for one and a half centuries. They rebuilt the stronghold uh, of Avarice and made it their capital. So I think we've come to an end of today's show. I wish you all a very happy uh, and fruitful weekend. Goodbye for now. Thank you for tuning in to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Please join Father John Holloman again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you have a very good week.